Hey friends, uh, I've been doing a season, a series on Plain Spoken, which deals with other Wesleyan denominations. The whole thought behind this is there are a lot of churches that have disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church, and I don't really think it's an option to remain independent. So there are lots of different Wesleyan bodies that individual local churches might look at for affiliation. Some of those bodies, like the Evangelical Methodist Church, are uh, almost the same level of um, organization and authority as the United Methodist Church. Others, like, say, the Congregational Methodist Church, are much more loosely bound and not nearly as global. Each each group that I've interviewed uh, a representative from has been very different in, in different ways, and then a lot of commonality. In particular, all of the groups that I've interviewed have been more, much more conservative in their theology, uh, conservative traditionalist orthodox than the United Methodist Church. But one of the things that was clear for me is I really only need to be interviewing Wesleyan bodies that don't have a trust clause. Um, so I uh, I was surprised whenever I interviewed the, the Evangelical Methodists. They actually do have something like that, but that's the only exception. Every other option I've been looking at is is not uh, coercively holding on to churches, but is, is much more um, freedom-oriented, let's say. So to that end, I, I, I reached out to the Association of Independent Methodists a while back, asking uh, if they had somebody that wouldn't mind speaking to me, and today I'm really glad to be joined by Reverend Adam Godbold and Reverend Marshall Dagg, uh, who are both going to be presenting uh, today. We're, you know, it's, it's, it's not really a very formal thing that I do, uh, so it's going to be a conversation where they're going to help me and hopefully you come to understand better what AIM is about and what kind of churches would fit well in AIM. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing this morning? Doing very well, Jeffrey. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, that's Adam just spoke, and then Marshall, how are you doing, brother? Yes, doing well. Thanks for having us. Very good. And uh, Adam, we're just going to feel sorry for you the whole time. Your voice is a little bit blurry, but the beard oh. makes you much more superior to us in your manliness and so your voice, uh, uh, blurry though it is, will be very commanding. I, I, it takes real commitment to grow a beard like that. Well, thank you. I tried, uh, uh, it was a year and a half ago, I grew my hair out about as long as I could stand it, and one guy said I looked like a Taliban guy. And I was just, man, small town ministry, that'll harpoon you. And then my wife was just like, okay, it's getting a little bit long, buddy. But does your wife like big beards? Uh not necessarily, but she does like beards. Uh, she, she's not a fan of the clean-shaved face. She prefers a little bit of the 5 o'clock shadow, but she uh, she's not opposed to You the really beard. pushed it. Yeah, yeah. I did. My, I did. But so much so that I have been accosted once in the airport uh, down in Miami coming wow. back into the country. But uh, it's only happened once, but I don't fly all that often. <laughs> so it's not, it's not a good percentage on my, uh, my, my flight uh, patterns. Yeah, dude, my, my wife is similar. She got mad at me whenever I shaved for our wedding day. She married me anyway, but she does not like the, the Marshall Dag look here, looking very respectable and clean-shaven. It's, it's clear you were raised right, Marshall, and we were not, so thank you for yeah, bearing I think it us. has more to do with genes. I would love to grow at least a 5 o'clock shadow, but I even lack that, so that's unfortunate for oh, me. I've tried to grow stuff out, but it really looks poorly. So, Dude, there are some... You know, not in Wesleyanism, of course, but there are some traditions like the Eastern Orthodox tradition where if you were not growing right. uh, a, a beard, you 
it's kind of almost as though you lack uh, godly authority to, to speak. So yeah. anyway, I'm glad we don't have to deal with that. Um, before we dive in, just a little bit about you guys. So uh, Marshall, you were the chair of Church Health and Multiplication Committee for the Association of Independent Methodists. We're going to call it AIM from here on out. Yep. Uh, wh- what exactly, uh, that, that is not a paid position, you're also a pastor, you also sit on the board of trustees for uh, Wesley Biblical Seminary. Um, tell us more about you, how it is that you have uh, particular insight in order to be able to speak for AIM. Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm actually uh, born and raised AIM. So all I've ever known really is the Association of Independent Methodists as far as my own spiritual life goes in Christ and all. And my dad is a, uh, a pastor and has been for, let me think about this, 30, I think 38 years. Uh, I believe that's right. At the same church, interestingly, uh, had a radical conversion from alcoholism and was part of the railroad he was and um was was radically converted in Vicksburg Mississippi at right at the Mississippi River there and the bridge and was later called to preach went to um came up here to North Alabama where I am so I'm I'm near Huntsville I'm practically in Huntsville and uh but he's in Decatur which is right across the Tennessee River and has been there for 38 years so so that's the context in which I grew up. Uh, So I'm a preacher's kid in that regard. And then received my own call to preach when I was 17 and then went to Wesley College, which was in uh, Florence, Mississippi, um, down Highway 49, and actually was associated with the Congregational Methodist Church. In other words, the school was. Oh, okay. And that's where Adam and I both um, graduated from college. And so graduated there in 2003 and went straight to Wesley Biblical Seminary, spent four years there, and then uh, moved back to this area, to Huntsville proper, and uh, and have, and have started a church. And so we planted a church 2007, my wife, and at the time, just one child. Now I have five, four boys and a little girl, uh, so ranging mm. from 16 to seven. And, uh, and so Anyway, planted the church, been here ever since that point um, in, in in church work here, but also have been teaching adjunctly at a community college in the area, teach religion, and have done that uh, for 13 years, I guess. And uh, and so anyway, um, yeah, so, so started working with some other churches and then basically uh, in leadership and aim, uh, whew, I don't even know how long now, Adam would probably know numbers better than me, and yet... Uh, they put me in charge of church planting, I guess, just because I have planted successfully and, uh, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, uh, so that's, that's kind of, I guess, credentials for why I'm in the position I'm in. And so right now we've got a church plant in Brandon, Mississippi. And so helping him out, I actually was just there two Sundays ago to, uh, to be with him in their worship service. And so we're proud of him and, and thankful and then just trying to help other churches, you know, in in our association, figure out where they are so that they can uh, see what they need to do next. And every church is all, you know, just like we are. We're always uh, in change. There's never just some static moment like, hey, let's just get to here and then we can we can be uh, in, a, in a moment of, of pause. There is no pause in life. And so same thing in church world is uh, or at a particular local church. And so we're just trying to help churches. Hey, where are you right now? And then mm-hmm. what can you do to move forward a little bit or to become healthier and so on and so forth? So that's 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 what the committee's designed to do. 
you know, we're not coming into a church. It's really, they reach out to us. We provide resources. We provide uh, coaching um, to some level. Uh, so in other words, evaluation, those sorts of things, typical resources that you would imagine. Uh, the difference is we being small in the, in the association, we have to uh, work with other Wesleyan groups. And that's great. We like that, actually. You know, we're not ashamed of that. And so we've worked with the Wesleyan Church uh, to help coach some of our some of our pastors and to help us uh, go through evaluations. I myself have been through several evaluations and uh, it just just so I would know what we were going to be offering. And I've also been coached by um, a, a guy in the Wesleyan Church who's now helping to coach, but also doing cohorts and so on and so forth. And so anyway, the point is we, we are willing to work with other, you know, we're not ex some of the exclusive group that just thinks, yeah, you got to be aim on this matter or what have you. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, that's, that's a little bit about kind of maybe answering your question there. I may have went, went too far, but yeah, no, 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 no. I, I think it's good uh, to have a comprehensive portrait of each of you guys to know your, where you're speaking from. So um, Adam, same for you. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Give some of your background. And then also uh, you are the uh, chair of the pastor parish relations committee for aim. I assume that means that you're primarily responsible for conflict resolution and maybe some appointment stuff, but I could be completely off base about that. So tell me about well, who you are, what you do. Sure. Uh, well, so we, we do not operate with a, uh, an appointment system. Um, uh our, our committee does deal with some conflict resolution uh, matters, but uh, more often than not, we're dealing with uh, credentialing matters and uh, processing applications for credentials, uh, transfers and whatnot. Um, and uh, uh, we, we spend the vast majority of our time doing that sort of work, interviewing okay. uh, potential candidates for credentials and, um, and uh, helping uh, helping move them along the uh, credentialing process that AIM has in place. Uh, so I grew up uh, just up the road from Marshall uh, until he moved off at like three years old or whatever. Uh, I was in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, I was born and raised in uh, in an association church at Riverside Independent Methodist Church, which was for many years, uh, for decades really, was kind of the flagship church of, of AIM uh, since AIM got, uh, got its start there in central Mississippi. Um, I was a, a, a active part of the congregation. My parents were active part of the congregation, but I'm not a preacher's kid. Um, I don't know of any uh, ordained minister that bears the God's old name, uh, at least in in my uh, uh, in, in my line of it, so to speak. Other than the original Godbold, which apparently was, uh, I think, a German missionary to England and was given the name Godbold because of his. Uh, That's a cool his, name. The boldness of his godliness, yes. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, but um, I, uh, I went to Wesley College, as Marshall mentioned, um, right out of high school. At that point, I knew that I was being called to ministry, uh, but that was kind of foreign to me. I was a shy kid, uh, very extroverted. I always wanted to be around and be, I didn't want to miss any of the events or activities or anything like that, but I did not want to talk. I did not want to uh, to speak up in front of others or pray or anything like that. It was, it was really strange. Uh, it was, it was very uncharacteristic of me uh, to, uh, to, to recognize a call to pastoral ministry. But um, uh, so, so 
started Bible college, uh, worked with youth uh, throughout my years of Bible college, uh, soon thereafter answered, uh, uh, answered the call to um, come out here to Marietta, Georgia to work with the youth here. My wife, Linda and I, who, uh, with whom Marshall grew up uh, at church and who I met at church camp, um, we got married right out of college. She was finishing nursing school. Uh, I was finishing Bible college. We moved out here, spent a couple years here. Uh, decided then to, uh, to to go to Wesley Biblical Seminary to, uh, to, uh, to to earn a Master's of Divinity there. Uh, spent three years there on campus while I was pastoring, youth pastoring in a United Methodist Church for about a year. And then as I was pastoring a small uh, rural church in North Mississippi uh, for a couple of years. And then we moved back here to the church that I I've, I've just marked my 15th year at, uh, at Faith Methodist Church right outside of Marietta, Georgia, which is like in the north uh, northwest uh, suburbs of, of Metro Atlanta. And I've been on the executive committee for a few years. I'm not sure, maybe six or seven years, something something to that effect. And uh, I've been serving in this capacity as uh, pastor care relations chair throughout that time. And um, that's about it. All right, so let me just uh, do a brass tacks question. Um, how many churches are there in AIM currently, ballpark? 72. However, we just, our executive committee just voted to receive another discerning associate within the last like 12 hours or so. Well, maybe 15 hours or so. Uh, and so I believe that's going to put us up to 73 once that becomes official. And I actually got a text message last night from uh, from a guy whose church just voted unanimously uh, to join our association. So we've not voted on them yet, but that would be a, a 74th, and I've got zero reason to uh, uh, to think that they won't pass muster with us. And uh, that'll actually get us out into another frontier because that'll be a new state that's added, West Virginia. How many churches outside of the continental U.S.? Uh, zero official churches, although we've got missionaries uh, throughout Latin America, uh, Eastern Europe, Japan, um, and then we've got uh, a number of like house church, uh, we've got a house church movement kind of, Marshall could speak to this a lot more in detail down in Mexico, and then we've got uh, in Eastern Europe, we've got some house church type projects that are going on as well that uh, uh, with a guy who's uh, ordained by us. So there's Mexican house churches. There's what's the other? Which one? What, what other Poland country had? Poland and Ukraine. Okay, Poland and Ukraine have a house church movement. Is there any kind of house church uh, movement in U.S.? Not, not that I'm aware. Not of. yet. No. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So there's the. It's just kind of. Um, it's it's a small organization where the expansion and engagement is really just dependent on the different personalities involved, uh, which. I think is I, I I don't think there's any other way to be. So um, your organization goes back to the days. Uh, I think I heard uh, I, I listened to the uh, more to the story podcast that you guys did. It was probably two or three months ago now at this point. But you uh, uh, the things I remember you, you I think you came out of the Methodist Episcopal Church South. You were particular to Mississippi for a long time. The acronym was something like Mammal. And then yeah, uh, you shift. Yeah, so that's that would have been interesting if you'd maintained it, but nothing, nothing against AIM. Um, but uh, you guys have been around for how, how old? When was the official split? What was the thing that led up to the 
uh, AIM faction splitting off or the MAML faction splitting off? So I affectionately refer to it as MAML. I don't think they went by that then, but it, it formed in oh. 1951. It was the Mississippi, and this is why we had to get past it. It was the Mississippi Association of Methodist Ministers and Laymen. And, um, and so it was that down was in to 41, Mississippi. You said? The what? Uh, no, 51, in 1951. 51. Okay. Yes, and then that, uh, 14 years later in 1965, gave rise to what became the Association of Independent Methodists. You'll notice it predates the formation of the United Methodist Church. Yes. And um, I affectionately say we were a reaction to them. They were a reaction to us. Oh, and, sure. And look how things are turning out. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, look. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, go on. We're growing by leaps and bounds. Uh-huh. I was, yeah, was going to ask so, you how many – Yeah, let's come back to this. How many – have a lot of churches shown interest in you guys since the disaffiliation period in the United Methodist Church has started? Oh, yes. Marshall's Over the last probably three years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Over that's the last fine. probably three years, we've gotten probably 300 inquiries, if not more. And um, obviously not all those have, have become member churches, but uh, there's been an awful lot of interest. Right on. So was the presenting issue for Mammal splitting off? I know they didn't call themselves Mammal, but I like it so much I'm going to stick with it. Was it primarily <laughs> theological or was it uh, around polity? Was it both? Yeah, so from from my perspective, it was uh, you didn't freeze there, did you, Adam? <laughs> First minute, moment, I thought you froze. Um, yeah, so from my understanding and looking back, obviously I wasn't alive then, and so I have to rely on those who came before us. But we've we've did a deep dive, Adam and I both, um, on this matter, and so yeah, it was it was partially theological in the sense that there was already some slippage on the scripture uh, mm-hmm. and. And, you know, Protestant, we maybe call it Protestant liberalism of, or some sort of liberalism that was already sneaking in, not politically, but rather theologically. Mm-hmm. And but then that that, of course, you know, led to uh, misuses of power is the way I would, you know, describe that, which is, oh, we need to get those, you know, Mississippi people um, or people in the South generally. I'm sure it wasn't just happening in Mississippi, but you know, on board with, with this sort of thing. So it's placing certain people there to teach them a lesson or to punish them. You know, for instance, if you're, if you are preaching the truth and, and you do believe the scriptures are inerrant and infallible, the word of God, you know, you could be punished for that. That So not saying that was widespread, but it was certainly starting to happen. And, and so therefore, you know, but I think many began to see like, well, goodness, is this going to be uh, something that's that we want to be a part of, and so part of the issue was certainly that. Who are the? So, so then that becomes polity matter, right? It's like, well, then what is the best way? If, if a bishop's not, you know, episcopus is not the right way, then then what is? And of course, you know, maybe we could all just state there's probably not a right way unless, uh, and of course, that's going to be argued by many. But but scripturally speaking, like which one? You know, like it's it's. I, I think there's there's definitely principles there, but as far as like, is this the only right way? Um, you know, I would argue it was, it'd be more like the modes of baptism where that one must be baptized. Yes. Um, how, when, et cetera. I think that's up for discussion. And, and I, you know, and I, I think polity is a matter uh, similar to that. There's not one 
you know, God-given polity in my, and at least I would love to hear if if that is the case from someone, but in the ecclesia, you know, in the church. Yeah, the, the simplistic argument would be that scripture is normative. Scripture explicitly uses the word episkopos, overseer, uh, more than once. All right, so so an easy response that you could often also anticipate would be if if the Bible is a standard, Scripture is a standard. Clearly, episkopos was used um, as as a reference point for a legitimate office in the church. Uh, do you make the argument then that no, that's not really an office; that's a function of the presbyteros? Or how, how do you get around that? Because I know you guys are real serious about Scripture. Yeah, no, no, that's wonderful. Um, I don't know. So, so overseer, but what do we mean by that exactly? Mm-hmm. You know, and how much power does one, you know, like where does that end power wise or structure wise mm-hmm. in the poly? That's not laid out in the scriptures. And as you know, the, the terms apostle or, you know, presbyter or episcopus or deacon, they are fluid. I mean, whether we like to think of it as not, they, they're they're more fluid than we just nailing them down. It only means this, mm-hmm. you know, and so so that even people who make arguments, you know, against, uh, for instance, women preachers, mm-hmm. um, take, for example, you know, uh, well, they can be deaconesses, but not deacons was like, well, okay, but Stephen's preaching. So what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, now granted not pastoring, but certainly preaching mm-hmm. and he's serving. So what does that mean? You know? And so anyway, I, I just think there's more fluidity to these terms and sometimes certain denominations want to, want to actually give them. And I think, I think ultimately there's four, if you will, roles within the church or powers or the ordering of Jesus Christ of his church, there's always four, even though they show up denominationally in various ways. Mm-hmm. So Baptists are going to talk about them in different ways, but they always end up showing up laity, deacons, presbyters, and, and episcopus, overseers. Mm-hmm. And they all have, them. I mean, across the board, Presbyterian to, to this, to that, Catholics, Orthodox, they all have generally those four mm-hmm. But if you're and if you're able to see them as a bit fluid in definition, then I, I, I see them in all. I don't know of one denomination that doesn't have somebody that they would look to for that role to be accomplished. You know, there, I'm sure there's probably some one out there. But my point is just simply largely we're we're not, uh, <laughs> I guess, as associate coming down and saying, yes, Oh, by overseer means we're going to come into your church and we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. We do have overseers in the church. We call them elders. And um, and those are trustworthy ministers that have been with us for a long time that we can trust theologically, that we can trust practically. Mm-hmm. And they are overseeing certain things. But the extent to that oversight is, I guess, where the, you know, where the... Um, where well, the difference would come. And that's a legitimate conversation that I've been trying to facilitate for the United Methodist Church as well, is I have nothing against biblical authority being held by individual people in the church. The question is, what does it mean to carry biblical authority? How is that power used? And that's a legitimate conversation to be had when our Savior warned us about lording our power over others the way that worldly people do. So, you know, the AIM has taken a clear stance on how it is that you do and do not exercise authority and power over one another. It also, is there, um, one of the primary 
concerns for people coming out of the United Methodist Church is wanting to make sure that you guys are serious about biblical interpretation and maintaining a certain standard of biblical fidelity across your connection. Um, so you're, you're affiliated with WBS. Did you guys start WBS? Yes. Adam, Adam, why don't uh, you speak to that? Yeah, Adam, uh, yeah. you just said that, that AIM started WBS. I, I, I remember listening to your conversation with Andy. I believe you said it was because you wanted to guarantee a certain quality of leadership in AIM, and so you knew you needed right. it. Okay, talk more about yeah. that. So, so uh, in the early 70s, our third executive director, who started part-time and I believe came full-time, uh, his name was Ivan Howard. And uh, he was a scholar. He was, uh, and one of the reasons he was willing to take the reins of the Association of Independent Methodists was there were apparently two criteria. One, he wanted to, uh, he wanted to modify our, our articles of belief to include an article specific to entire sanctification. Okay. And I believe that became Article Twenty Eight. That actually happened within the first year of his of his term, I believe. Mm. Uh, and the other reason was he wanted to start a uh, he wanted to start a master's level theological school in the deep south. And one of the reasons why that was of such of such interest was we suffered from what AIM continues to suffer from, and that is uh, churches leaving because their pastor is not uh, doctrinally in line and uh are doctrinally doctrinally aligned with us uh and there's there's theological drift within the congregation and because it's an association of churches we don't have a trust clause we don't have all that sort of of, of power that we can leverage over our congregations they're free to leave mm -hmm. and uh, so he wanted to to establish a uh, theological school in the deep south to raise up uh uh truly methodist believing um uh, inerrantist uh, ministers of the gospel for the local church in the Deep South. Okay, and it's, from what I understand, you know, I talked with Andy last week, I'll be putting that interview up here soon, sounds like it's going pretty well, um, and like you guys are really filling, the WBS is really filling a needed niche in uh, Wesleyan higher education um, there's a conversation going on more broadly right now about proper biblical interpretation and and how it is that the global Methodist Church in particular, uh, as as the main entity coming out of the United Methodist Church, is, should conduct itself. Uh, the concern being that doctrinal drift uh, that that happens in every sect. It is not at all particular to Methodism, uh, but it is a huge concern for people coming out of the United Methodist Church that are looking at AIM and other bodies. So can you talk a bit about um, church discipline within AIM and how it is that you guys ensure that the same doctrinal drift that led to the destruction and compromise of the United Methodist Church really isn't an option or would just not find very fertile planting ground in AIM? Um, let's defer first to Adam and then Marshall, you piggyback. Um, so we... So the power that AIM really has uh, over uh, over its people is is the power of credentials. Probably that's that's probably the greatest power. We we do credential our ministers. Our ministers are not members of the association. It's actually the local congregations that are members of the association. Uh, uh, but we do credential the ministers. Um, there's also the like the dismissal power, uh, where if if a congregation is drifting doctrinally, we can. Uh, 
we can call them out on it. We can approach them about it. We can try to, to, to reconcile whatever differences we might have. And for whatever reason, we can dismiss churches that are members of our association. Um, I believe our, our constitution lays out four, four reasons for four potential reasons of, for dismissal. And any one of those uh, 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 could be grounds for, for dismissal from the association. Okay. Um, we, we, I'm not, I'm not aware of, of any overuse or misuse of, of those sorts of powers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the things that our, every, every one of our ministers is required to do is, is submit an annual report each year. And in that annual report, they acknowledge that they have, uh, that they have read and are, and are well read regarding our articles of, of belief mm-hmm. and, uh, and that they're in agreement and, and in keeping with it. And, um, you know, obviously a minister could lie, but, sure. um, but we've, we've, uh, we have not, uh, we've not had, had any who've said, no, I'm not. And therefore, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Have, what, how, how frequently has it happened that you do have to disfellowship a local church from AIM? Um, it is, so it's somewhat infrequent. Uh, really, we, we underwent, probably six, seven years ago, we underwent a, a pretty dramatic change in our, uh, in our structure as an organization. We, uh, we, at that, at the time we had an executive director, we no longer have that office that freed up a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of capital, so to speak, to, mm-hmm. to, to not be paying that salary. Um, but one of the changes that we made was our, our membership process. We, and, and what we call members, we now Two, two, two stages of membership within the association. We have discerning associates, which again, this is the local congregations. We have discerning associates for two years and then they become covenantal associates. If they, after those two years, decide not to become covenantal associates, then they, then they, they simply bow out and, and they're no longer a member of, of our association of churches. Very good. Um, we did in that process, uh, we kind of grandfathered in all member congregations mm-hmm. and when, once we reached that two-year point uh either they were going to enter into a covenantal relationship with our association or they were going to simply step away mm-hmm. and we did have a number of congregations that that for whatever reason decided to to just step away and so we mm-hmm. initially went went uh went through quite a dip in uh in our membership but uh it since uh it since has well i guess doubled in the last uh, in the last three years. Oh wow, that's incredible. Okay, well, Marshall, I, I said that I'd give you a chance to piggyback off what he said about church discipline and maintaining doctrinal standards. Was there more to add? So yeah, I mean, I don't know about more to add, but I will add this nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Is you know, it is frustrating at times to be frank that you know we have a, a church or a property. And we've had this happen multiple times where we're then a, you know, they can't, they can't find a pastor or whatever to take a small church. And so they get someone local, someone of a different denomination, not uh, in the Wesleyan stream at all. Yeah. And, um, and ultimately they take the church over and, you know, uh, sell it or do whatever they want to do. And, um, and there's, you know, we just watch. Right. And so in some sense, you know, we're, we're run, much like I think most churches locally are run in the sense that, you know, no one's going to punish you for leaving and, uh, and, and go and, you know, 
put this or that measure on you or, hey, we have a clause that you can't do that, you know, and and what have or make you give. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's churches that make you give. I, I'm not aware of many. And um, if at all. And so same thing here. You don't there's no amount that you have to give. However, mm-hmm. obviously giving and participating just like in membership are marks of uh, someone that's involved and and that wants to be there. And so, you know, we don't obviously want to be associated with people that don't want to be a part of AIM. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And mm-hmm. any more than than you'd want a church member like that. They're not a member at that point. And so, so we did go through a purging. We did go through a purging. And it was actually helpful. And I think healthy. And now we've doubled in, I mean, wouldn't you say we've almost doubled in size, Adam? Is that accurate? In the last three years, we've about. Yeah. And so. Not not because of the purging, okay, but it at least, um, you know, people who are here now want to be here yeah. and they want to be associated with us. And, you know, technically we're not a denomination. We are an association. And so it's a matter of associating with us. And what you're associating to is really is really uh, doctrinal. You know, it's, it's really theological. It's biblical. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not biblical in the sense if you don't do it, you're not, you're not, you're unbiblical, but you're, you're, you're saying this is the way we see scripture as well. And like, we, we think uh, in these, in these terms about sanctification or the Bible or et cetera. And so, but also polity wise, right? Like you're saying, I, you know, we don't know we're, we're locally autonomous. We are, we believe that, that the most power, quote unquote, in the local church is the local church and that it can be, you know, that's where the decisions should be made. First and foremost, not that you don't have advisors outside or oversight outside or accountability outside of that, which is what Adam is describing is part of the accountability for our pastors is the association itself. We are the, you know, licensing ordaining uh organization for them mm-hmm. and and therefore hold the power to revoke that uh, or suspend that and so on and and likewise to a church like hey you're not you're not abiding by by this you know and so so we are an association proper and not necessarily you know a denomination which probably was was self-evident but but anyway that's so to me that's the way the power ends up looking and and being addressed and and, and, and abused, right? So like, we're not, listen, <laughs> this is not for everybody. Trust yeah. me, we have friends, you know, um, I've got a, you know, we're part of the Global Wesleyan Alliance. This is it's probably backwards, but, you know, Global no, Wesleyan Alliance is an alliance of Wesleyan, you know, denominational. Oh, look at there. So we're both using this. And so, you know, we have partnership with them. We we know many people in in all of the Wesleyan groups. I mean, and we like them. We're not, we're not saying our way's best. Like I don't, you know, no, I hope no one takes that from this, but if you find yourself in a place where you're saying, you know, we're not ready for, for full commitment in somebody else's higher hierarchical, even authoritative sort of way, Uh um, or you just skimp, you know, skittish about the matter. Um, We may be a landing place for that sort of uh, group or that sort of church, and of course, for us, it's normal to be locally run in this regard and have accountability and have, you know, maybe oversight light, L-I-T-E. Um, you know, that's normal for our church and for Adam's group. And so, I mean, that's all I've ever known. Although, you know, we're very well aware of more Episcopal forms and 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 what have you. So Yeah. All right, Adam. Um, I, I think Marshall just uh, alluded to it a few minutes ago, but clarify for me, uh, does AIM recognize female clergy? 
Yes. Okay. Does AIM have annual conferences? Yes. We have one. You have one annual conference. So the whole AIM assembles every year. Yes. Okay. Uh, does AIM have a separate order of deacons from elders? Uh, yes. So we have, we have, uh, clarify your question, please. Um, sorry, I'm trying to kill this fly. Um, so elders and deacons have different roles in the church, have different ways in which they exercise authority. Do you make that distinction? Do you have people who occupy those roles and don't hop in and out in between them? Or is the structure more loosey-goosey? Uh, no, no, we, it's not, it's not so loosey goosey. Um, the reason I was, I was, uh, I was thinking I might've been confused is we used to have a separate track. We had a preaching track and then a, uh, a diaconal track, uh, for our credentialed ministers. Mm -hmm. We've streamlined that. We, we have, uh, three stages of ordination or three, three landing points of ordination. Uh, the first is a, uh, uh, a licensed minister. Uh, the second is an ordained minister, and then the third is an ordained elder. Um, that licensed minister is is like a deacon. Mm -hmm. um, they can serve and assist and, and help. They can preach and, and, and do all the things that you would typically associate with a deacon, uh, uh, but they can't oversee the sacraments. They can't officiate weddings. They can only, they can only assist. Uh, an, an ordained minister can do all those things, um, can pastor any of our churches and whatnot. And then the ordained elders, of course, as Marshall mentioned earlier, serve kind of as over, overseers and, and leaders within the association, uh, theologically, biblically, and, um, and practically and whatnot. So would I be right in thinking that there's kind of a continuum of uh, uh, clergy that begins with deacon proceeds through to what is essentially uh, at the end point, some kind of combination of the presbyteros, episcopos, overseer, elder. You, you, you guys seem to kind of have a synthesis between the two at the top, but there's no one who's just an overseer. Uh, I, have I understood this correctly, Marshall? I think so. Okay. Um, you know, it's this is something we reorganized on a few years back, as Adam mentioned, and, and did away with the uh, diaconal track. And because we just, we, we saw, you know, the four I mentioned earlier, right? La right. The laity and yeah. the deacon, the uh, presbyter, the episcopus. Um, and so, you know, it's the way I see it in my mind is a deacon or what we would call associate minister or licensed minister is one who is able to preach and, um, but serve in the church in particular ways of leadership, a trusted leader in this regard, and uh, a pastor, uh, which would be ordained minister in our in our group and our naming, uh, would be one that is called to a local church. So we've interviewed people that have certain giftings that are similar to a pastor, but they have no calling at all to mm -hmm. to actually pastor. Uh, and so we would, we tell them, you know, which I think they end up discovering in the process as well, you know, yeah, I'm not called to like be a pastor of a local church, but everybody's called to the church. So mm -hmm. you're still, you still have, that would be a deacon, you know, difference in a deacon and say a pastor, whereas an elder is one that can pastor pastors, at least that's the way, you know, and again, we're still honestly, Jeffrey, kind of living into some of these distinctions that we've made.
But for me, personally speaking, and thus uh, my influence within the association too, is is I see elder, and I would put my stamp on elder as as a pastor that would be able to pastor pastors. And that's not every pastor mm -hmm. um, by any regard. And so that's somebody steeped in the Bible, but also theology, able to teach and preach, which mm -hmm. I would make a distinction between. And um, and so on and so forth. And so that for me, that's that's kind of a little bit of the delineation that I have in my head concerning our naming of, you know, and, and I would say this continuum. Yes. However, one does not like once you get on the track at all, it doesn't mean that you go all the way to the top always. I hear you. you know, and I'm sure that's not what you meant. But but I, I just you know, if you're called to be a deacon, I think that's actually a calling. And, yeah. and it's not like it's a stepping stone. And so we don't want to we don't want to give people that idea either. Um, okay. And and so we're just, we try to discern that and try to help. No, there are a number them. of people coming out of United Methodism that that are concerned with that particular question. Uh, there uh, there are people who are very clear. Deacon is not a stepping stone to elder. It's a calling within the church, and it's not a lesser than opinion or uh, status. Um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't have you guys clarify we live in the midst of a, a culture war. It's clear that, that AIM came about in response to uh, theological concern, theological liberalism, but also uh, a polity concern and a power concern. Uh, so, you know, some things have been more important for you all to figure out than others. The, the, the thing that tore the United Methodist Church apart probably wasn't uh, sexual orientation, gender identity stuff, uh, SOGI stuff, but that was definitely the presenting issue. You know, I, I would say it was undergirded by, um, I'm going to kill this freaking fly. You're going to kill yourself trying to kill it. Right, yeah, man, I can't, I mean, what is the programming that these stinking flies have, and how do they elude me until I turn on the camera? So, um, okay, so hopefully TJ sees that and cuts that out. Um, so even so, uh, I, I get that the aim wasn't started with that particular issue in mind, but a lot of people coming out of the United Methodist Church just want to make sure that's not something they're going to deal with. We've talked broadly about disciplinary issues. How much room is there in aim for people who subscribe to modern ideology around sexual, uh, uh orientation and gender identity? Adam, you look like you're so excited to answer that one. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was excited to hear what Marshall was about to say. Marshall, I'm different. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll jump in. That there would be no room for that, no room for confusion on that matter. We see, you know, and, and I'm speaking here for myself, but also in the capacity of leadership that I am in AIM and um and its and its executive board, which would be sort of the governing board and and governing body of of this matter but you know we have a we have article 30 is that right uh, yes yeah, article thirty. yes that actually deals with this matter specifically uh, of marriage and uh and so we've we've clarified that as as much i've got as it possible. pulled up right here the, christian marriage is the covenantal union before god of one natural born man and one natural born woman to live together as husband and wife so I don't know if you can get any clearer than that, but we would like to know. And uh, but we we certainly have tried to clarify that matter. And and so yeah, confusion on that is is um, is confusion on the Bible itself and questioning its own authority, which is very clear. You know, for I don't know of any of our pastors. Certainly, none of our leadership would 
would at all question the authority of the Bible on matters of sexuality. Okay. Uh, so you guys are recognizably Methodist in a number of ways. You've adopted the articles of religion that uh, John Wesley sent in the Sunday morning service to the Americans, largely mirrored uh, Anglican articles of religion, uh, almost word for word. Um, that would clearly bind you to a lot of other Methodist denominations. You've added some others that I, I think are needed and helpful and don't at all really discount you from, I mean, not that you're particularly interested in my opinion, but it all seems re reasonable and good, but there are ways in which you have decidedly departed from uh, the Methodist heritage. Uh, John Wesley did have a trust clause. I think a lot of people are very fine saying, that was probably a mistake. We probably just shouldn't have that. You know, John Wesley can make mistakes. Just because they started off one way doesn't mean they have to do another. There's also something to be said about connectionalism. You guys haven't abandoned connectionalism. Uh, in, in your uh, interview with uh, Andy Miller, you said you do together what you can't do apart. So uh, higher education, camps. Um, what, what are some other things that you do that are connectional in nature? Is that it? Did so I cover it? Sorry, Adam, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, camps, retreats, scholarships, uh, local missions, foreign missions, um, um, training opportunities. Uh, 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 there, there's a number of other things. The, the way we do connectionalism is, is truly a it's, a, it's a connectionalism of voluntarism, mm -hmm. right? Where, where the local churches have to be bought in. They have to want to be a part. We're, we're not going to force them to be a part. We're, gonna, we're not going to force participation. You know, for our, for our youth camps, those who want to be there are there. We're, we're not, we don't mandate that churches send money uh, to cover it. We don't mandate that churches send children to be a part of it or adults to, to, to counsel within it and whatnot. Uh, we, we, we create opportunities for connectionalism and we create opportunities for growth and for ministry that our churches want to be a part of. It's a coalition of the willing. Yes. Um, so there is no over, I mean, this is very evident. There is no bureaucracy overhead that you have to, uh, fund. I, I think I saw in your previous interview that you have one full-time employee, which is an administrative, uh, position. And then the rest of that money goes to scholarships, camps, retreats, making those things possible. So it isn't that you guys don't believe in connectionalism, and it isn't that you guys don't believe in authority or power uh, in the church. It's that you've taken a, a particular stance on how those things can and should operate, uh, which is very loose and voluntary in nature. And it's it's entirely your prerogative to to run such an experiment, and I, I think it's a worthy experiment. I think it's very threatening to bodies like uh, the United Methodist Church, which see that, hey, this coalition of the willing can do just fine. We don't have to have apportionments and askings and coercion and uh, compelling people to, to fall in line. Uh, so I, I certainly appreciate that witness. Um, so uh, I, I appreciate the Association of Independent Methodists. I'm glad we finally got time to sit down and have you guys explain some of that to me. I, I was kind of curious to figure out just some of these dynamics and how things operate. Um, we, we talked about one hour. I'm, I'm feeling kind of sick today. So let's bring it to a close after I want to give each of you a time to just anything else about AIM that you think is important for people to know as they're coming out of the United Methodist Church. 
of course, you can't think of everything, and that's an unfair expectation. But as you imagine being a person who knew nothing about AIM before this and is going, hmm, they sound kind of interesting. Uh, just add a, a, a little cherry on top at, at the final bit, and then we'll we'll call it to a close. Uh, let's defer to uh, Adam first. All right. So I think I think AIM really is about a a uh, a trifecta of values. We value scripture, holiness, and the local church. Um, we stand on scriptural the primacy and authority of scripture. Uh, we stand on the possibilities of grace to transform a human heart and, and make us holy in both heart and life. Uh, and we stand on uh, the, uh, the values of, of the local church and local church autonomy. We want our congregations to freely be a part of our association. And as you mentioned earlier, to do together what we simply cannot do mm-hmm. on our own. Yeah. Um, and those really are the three characteristics that, that identify that, 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 uh, those are the things that characterize every bit of who we are and everything that we do. Very nice. Marshall. Yeah. I mean, that's, that sounds great, <laughs> but to, just to add my own two cents is, you know, we're not for everybody. I mean, that's, that's the reality, right? And we're not trying to be, you know, for everybody. And we're certainly not against our fellow brothers, not church wide as in capital C, but also in our Wesleyan stream, you know, we, um we very much appreciate the partnerships. You talk about, connectional you know i think i think we can be a bit more connectional in some regard because we don't have to be denominationally tied to certain things we're Ooh, we're reaching out sure. to westlands and to the nazarenes and to uh, congregational methodist and what have you for resources and for partnerships and so you know we, I, yeah i want to want to get that across because we're we don't have an axe to grind you know if there was an axe to grind back in the 60s it's already been ground and we are uh, more positively focused and we're a growing organization. We need help. And so if somebody is listening, that's like, man, that sounds interesting. And I actually might have some gifts that that could even help because, because quite frankly, Jeffrey, we are going to move. We're going to have to, uh, and I may be speaking (laughs) out of turn here, but we're going to have to move at some point to another full-time person. There's just no way to hold organizationally, to where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And so we used to have an executive director and um, is that what it was called, Adam? Yeah. So, and, and, and I'm, I'm afraid we're, we're moving quickly to having to have someone there to help manage the day to day. That is an actual paid position because it's just, you know, from a voluntary standpoint, it's, it's very difficult. And, and if we get bigger, then we'll have to have some. So anyway, all that to say is just, you know, we're, we are a, a growing organization, so we're not finished yet. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like we can just definitively say, you know, this is the way we'll always be because we won't. And right. and that's a good thing because we are a growing organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, just beware when you have those full-time employees that have all day to spend time on building and doing their own things. Those, those things don't always match up with uh, the priorities of the local church or the annual conference. So, uh, just beware. I'm sure you're very aware of this, but uh, that's one of the lessons we learned in the United Methodist Church. And uh, so I'm I'm sure you guys will navigate it better than than we did. But uh, that is just an ongoing. Uh, when you accumulate these things, they kind of take on a nature of their own, and so it takes vigilance and um, 
not suspicion necessarily, but watching over one another in love. So healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've certainly benefited from talking to you guys. I, I appreciate you taking time with me. We're going to have stuff in the show notes for anybody who's interested in following up with you guys. I'll have some doctrinal stuff that you sent me to kind of speak to more of the particulars of what you guys believe. Um, but also we'll have contact information for y'all if people want to follow up uh, on getting credentialed. Uh, if there are individual churches that want to consider starting a, a partnership, then by any means, by all means, we're going to facilitate that. And then, um, you know, uh, I, I would use the word ecumenism uh, for what you guys do. And, and um, I, I think ecumenism is really important. And a lot of denominations do just kind of, hey, we stick with what we do in our way. We don't work with others. And I think it's really cool that you guys are not at all threatened by working collaboratively with others. And I, I did want to come back to one thing you said, which was um, you, you've noticed that you've doubled since you went through your purge. And uh, I, I forget which one of you said, I, you, you came back and said, I want to say it's a good thing that we, we purged. But I, I believe in a thing called addition by subtraction which is that if your organization is going to have integrity, you have to remove those uh, right. elements of the organization that, that don't stand with that integrity and uh, right. that, that you do uh, gain, if not in uh, just in quality, then sometimes also in quantity. That seems to be what you guys have experienced, surely partly because the UMC dissolved and a lot of people's sensibilities are in your direction. But also, you know, I'm, I'm just of a mind that whenever an institution stands with integrity against the age, there are going to be churches and people that are drawn to that and need that. And it sounds like you guys do that in a unique and useful way. Uh, it sounds like you have for several decades. So I wish you all well and look forward to seeing how you guys choose to grow and develop over the next few decades while I'm in ministry and uh, I don't know if you guys are ever coming over to Oklahoma, but if you are, you're very welcome to have a ministry partner over here with me. Would love it. Thanks for that, Jeffrey. That's very kind and insightful. Marshall, Adam, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, if you, viewer, have uh, benefited from hearing them talk about it, if it's been helpful for thinking through power dynamics in the church and what kind of denomination you're interested in belonging to, feel free to share it with your church board if they're discerning or if you think they should be discerning. Feel free to just share it with your friends. I, I think these are the sort of conversations that really are helpful in the local church. I don't find it very compelling whenever churches just do what they do because that's what they've always done. It really is nice to step outside of that and look at how other people do things and why and kind of re-examine the way things are done, I think I think this is uniformly useful. So if you agree with me, like it, share it, comment, uh, do all those things that other people tell you to do. Do it for me, though, because uh, I, I want to do well. And and so thank you for the support. I'll, uh, I think I have one more interview, at least in this series. I don't know whenever I'm going to call it to a close, but uh, the AIM, AIM group is definitely worthy of consideration. So I, I hope you enjoyed your time with them and with me, and I'll, I'll see you next time.